Hey guys, thanks again for joining us on the Foundry Church podcast. Every week we upload a new message, so make sure you subscribe. That way you can be notified right when that goes up. And if you're looking to stay connected with us throughout the week, you can do so by liking us on Facebook and subscribing to our YouTube channel. With that said, let's get into the next part of our series, Life to the Full. We're going to dive into our teaching today. We are doing uh, our teaching series this fall. It's a shorter series. We're taking the book of the Gospel of John. John 10.10 says this, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, But I have come to give you life and life to the full. Last week we talked about God's broad perspective. God being omniscient, which means he's all-knowing, being omnipresent means he's everywhere at all times, means God sees bigger. He has a bigger perspective, and he understands things that he's calling us to do. He knows what he made us to be, and he understands what he's calling us to do because he has a better view. And we can trust his character knowing that what he calls us, well, when he calls us to do something or into a life, that maybe seems challenging, we can trust his character knowing that the words of Jesus are true and he's calling us to life to the full and not a counterfeit version of it. So today we're going to look at life to the full in terms of fullest engagement. Fullest engagement. Going, um, Going and taking life on God's terms and fully engaging in what he made you and called you to be. So here's uh, what we're going to do today. Let me say it this way. I'm always blown away when, um, when I'm in a room and we broaden the wisdom by including female perspective, right? We have women in leadership in this church, and I love how the female perspective can often speak a profound wisdom into a situation. I, there have been so, every road trip we've ever done, my wife has said to me, in like 31 minutes, the back seat's going to catch on fire emotionally. You need to find a restaurant. And I'm like, you got it. Or I just more, more than anything, I'm more like, a, like just a Neangelo. I'm like, Bleh. I keep driving. Because all I want to do is get where I'm going. Like, I don't care if your bladder bursts. I need to be there. Why? I don't know. It's just a goal, and I'm going to beat Google Maps, right? It's so important to me. And so like 31 minutes is coming up. I'm looking. I need about 38 minutes to get where I'm headed to. And all of a sudden, the emotional Krakatoa of my family erupts in the back seat. And there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, fighting hair. And I'm like, what happened? And Eric is just like, 31 minutes. You should have listened. I know what they need. You know, I'm like, well, just get them, throw food back there, do anything. Like, here's my phone. Anything, right? Especially when they were little, this would happen. And I wouldn't listen to the wisdom of someone who knew what was needed, maybe not what was wanted. The female perspective often gives us that. In Scripture, in the book of Proverbs, there is um, a term, and we'll talk about it a little, little bit later today. Uh, there is a term for wisdom, and that term is gendered. It's actually female. If you look it up in Isaiah chapter 11, the book of Isaiah, he talks about the seven traits of the Spirit of God. One of the traits of the Spirit of God is the feminine trait, wisdom. 
It's always gendered female, the female voice of wisdom. Um, Adrian Rogers says it this way, wisdom is the ability to see life from God's view, God's big perspective, to see things bigger. Today, we're going to look at some stories of women in the Bible who give us an understanding of wisdom. And as we look at them, they're going to kind of stand alone as three different stories And then we're going to apply them with three different kind of mentalities towards the end of the teaching. Now, here's the thing. I know that there's some guys in the the room that, oh, I didn't know it was girls' day at church. Why are you doing this? It's not Mother's Day. First of all, boo. That's pretty sexist of you, and I'm shocked. Um, So, uh, but here's the thing. Just remember, this last summer we talked about kings for 14 weeks. Male kings. Somebody dug that over there. Um, That was awesome. Um, We talked about kings for 14 weeks. One of the only female we talked about was Athaliah, and she murdered her kids and grandkids. So I think the ladies deserve a break and a little help here today. So I'll get an amen. Amen. And we'll move on. Um, We're going to learn from ladies. You're going to dig in. We're going to learn as we should from the voice of Scripture using these different things. And one of the best ways I can try to imitate femininity is multitasking, because I'll tell you what, ladies, I mean, kudos to you, I can barely unitask, much less multitask, and it is unbelievable, like, I've been waiting to pick kids up at something, and I'll look, and there's like a mom in a minivan washing children, there's like a a crock pot plugged into the cigarette lighter, she's making dinner, right, while paying a bill online, threatening a child, one more time, Charlie, and it's on, you know, and the kid's like, yes, ma'am, like, and she's just running the world from a minivan, and I'm like, God bless you, ma'am, and then I realize I'm at the wrong school, oh, you don't have to drive off. Again, unitasking, right? So here's what we see and understand. We're going to multitask. We're going to look at these three ladies, and then we're going to move from these three ladies into very specific applications. The first one, Luke 10, chapter, uh, verse 38 to 42. Jesus and his disciples were on their way. They were walking. They came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, and this is important, parents, if you ever wonder, did people in the Bible, did, did sisters fight? What's wrong with my family? Nothing. You're about to see. It's always been the same. She comes to him and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Anybody have that last night, like cleaning up the kitchen? Seriously, you ever have kids? We agreed to do it together. I washed. They were supposed to dry, but I'm trying. Right? It's happened. Okay, maybe not in your home. All right, so here's what Jesus says. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Actually, only one. One. And Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. I don't know how Martha responded. I think that probably made her mad. But here's the thing. Busyness versus engagement. In our culture, busyness is almost like a sacrament. How you doing? Man, I'm, I'm busy. My time is valuable. I'm important. People want to see me. I am busy. And we're like, oh, yeah, me too. Somehow I got able, I was able to sleep till 11 today, but busy as well, right? Because to be busy is to be important. And to be busy means in some way you matter. Look at Martha. She's having Jesus 
for dinner. So she's cleaning the house, the kind of crazy house cleaning your mom did when guests came over. Clean it. Oh, sir, that was a lot, right? And you clean, and she's doing this, and she's wondering, why isn't my sister helping? Why isn't my sister helping? Because her sister was engaged with what mattered. She wasn't bowing to the tyranny of the urgent, the expectation of culture. Mary was doing everything she shouldn't, but she was doing the right thing. She was sitting at the, wor- at the feet of Jesus, listening to every word he said. He, she didn't care about the busyness. She cared that Jesus was there. And here's the thing. Martha and we can fill our lives with good, important, necessary, busy things, but it doesn't mean it's the right thing. It doesn't mean it's the right thing. So here's what I would invite you to do. As Adrian Rogers said to us, wisdom is the ability to see life from God's perspective. Hold on to that and learn to ask the one who sees big, God, to give you his perspective on what matters most and let God teach you the difference between good things and the best thing. Because our lives quite often bow to good things all the time. We're doing good things, but I will tell you, many of us are making mountains of good things that matter nothing in the kingdom of God. We have to learn what is the best thing. What is the best thing we could be doing to honor God and make use of the gifts and the talents he's made resident in your life for his glory. We have to learn to ask God, show me the difference between good things and the best thing. God isn't um, random. God has specifically made you for a purpose, and he's doing things in your life so that you can be in close relationship, fully engaged with him, not just bowing to the busyness around us and thinking that in some way impresses God. God's not impressed with our busyness. Actually, he says, you're worried about many things, Eric, but actually one thing matters. Come, sit down. I can't sit down. I'm busy and suddenly I'm Martha, right? I'm too busy doing things for God instead of sitting with him. The next woman is Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 is uh, the story of a woman who is, well, let's just read about her. Check it out. A wife of noble character who can find she is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still night, to which all the moms are like, yeah, we did. Okay, and she provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and she buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for the task. She sets, uh, she sees that her trading is profitable. Her lamp doesn't go out at night, and in her hands, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She's making thread. It's taking the wool and flax, and now she's making thread to make garments. She opens her arms to the poor, extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, there's snow in the Bible. When it snows, she has no fear for her household. We Michiganders act a little wounded with snow, but it's in the Bible. 
It's not just you. All right, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed, and she is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments, and she sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom. The Hebrew chokmah, that is a female term, and it says this, she speaks the wisdom of God. Get this. She speaks the wisdom of God. This chokmah is so important. It's telling us that God has wired certain people to be wise. And this woman embodies it. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you, you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done, and let her works bring her praise at the city gates. One cool thing in the ancient world, the city gates was a place where men sat to govern the affairs of the of the people. So when it says, let her works bring her praise at the city gate, everybody is in awe of who this woman is. Oh, she's a power player, right? And we need to talk about selfishness versus engagement for just a minute. Because what's the difference? I just told you about Martha, and I kind of clanged on her for working too hard. And you're like, hey, Eric, I know you're dyslectic, but you're really doing bad today, man. No, I'm not. Trust me. Stick with me for just a minute. Her work is different than what Martha was doing. Who was Martha worried about? Where was Martha's attention? Jesus, can you tell Mary to quit being lame and help me out? What does this woman do? She attends to everything in front of her to serve the people around her. Her life is not self-centered. It is meant for the pouring out for other people. She serves other people endlessly. Yes, she was busy. I felt like I was tired after reading that. I was like, who can do all that kind of stuff? How does that happen? She's industrious, she's faithful, and she serves those around her and made the very most of her time. She made the very most of her time. She didn't allow idle time to be something where she just kind of did her own thing. It seems like she had very little me time, and she had a lot of time on the grind. But her life is the definition of selflessness. She's engaged in her life fully. She's living it and intentional. Remember I said the other week what it's like when you're driving home, and you pull into the garage, and you're like, oh, I don't know how I got here, right? And you're like, I should have paid more attention to what's going on while I drive. You're not fully engaged. She's fully engaged in her life, and her life isn't about her. It's outward looking. It's beyond her. The third character is a woman named Esther. She's one of my great heroes of the Bible, probably my, one of my favorite heroines of the Bible. I love this character. She is a young girl who was an orphan. When Jerusalem fell in 586 to the Babylonians, they took all the nobles in their families and they took them to King Nebuchadnezzar and they trained them to be Babylonian, right? Um, 
Eventually, Nebuchadnezzar dies, other kings come into power, and King Xerxes, who is a very well-known king in history, King Xerxes is on the throne, ruling an empire that goes from India all the way to uh, Greece. They were fighting the Macedonians, so they have this 127-province empire, and Xerxes is the king over it. And then there's little orphan Esther, whose parents had died, and she had been raised by her uncle Mordecai, who worked in the king's court, and Xerxes throws a party. Now, this was no particular party. It was 127 days of partying, drinking, roasting fatted calves, and hanging out with the officials. He had, like, and it's terrible to say in church, he had a 127-day kager. It was just a party, just unbelievable, lavish, all this stuff. After 127 days, you can almost imagine the drunken slur when he's like, you guys want to see how hot my wife is? And he's like, bring forth Vashti, you know, with a simple glaze. And, the, and Vashti's like, I'm not coming out there for you to parade me in front of your friends. And he's like, I'm angry. And he gets super mad and he deposes her, kicks her off the throne, and he does the healthy thing. He says, find the most beautiful girl in all the kingdom. Actually, get me like thousands of them. I'll pick the one I want. Esther rises to the top. It says she was beautiful in form and feature. And she wins the heart of the king. Unbeknownst to Esther, there is another man named Haman. He's kind of a Hitler character in the story. He is out to destroy all of the Jewish people. He wants them all put to death. He hates Mordecai, and he is against them. And he sets up this plot where he's going to have them all put to death by the king's edict. Haman didn't know Esther was a Jew. But Esther was afraid to act, right? She was afraid to fully engage Because, well, I mean, how scared would you be? How scared would you be when everything seems to be on the line? And don't forget what happened to Vashti when she got out of line. So Mordecai, her uncle, comes to her, and she's wondering what to do. And he says this, Esther, do you think that you and your family will survive the murder of all our people? You will not. You will not survive it if you don't stand up. And who knows but that you have been brought to power into this position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. You are here for a reason. What if there's purpose behind your position and it's not just to have a lavish life, but it's to do something. It's to be, well, someone whose life isn't overrun by the thieves and the robbers, by the things that come and take but your life is spent for others. Your life and your position, you're here for a reason. And I will tell you this, that we need to understand how desperately we need to be present in the life we're living. We talked about the cast of characters. Thieves and robbers were one of the characters in John chapter 10. And the thieves were those who came before the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and tried to deceive people to following them as though they were God. And they were giving a false life. Here's what we know. Jesus Christ gives life. So let's weigh it this way. Anything in your life that claims to be life-giving but doesn't is a counterfeit. It's a thief. It might be good but it's not the best. Anything in your life that claims to be something that's life-giving, but it pulls you away from the purposes and the present situation you're in is a thief and a liar. It's a counterfeit, and after a while, it will destroy you. 
It will destroy you and it will rob you of everything you were meant to be. It will rob you of the life you were meant to live. Now here's the thing. doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It could be good things, but remember what we said. Just because it's good, it doesn't mean it's best. And God has best for us. God has a plan for us that is best. So let's do, do ourselves a favor here and not pretend that the counterfeit busyness and gods that pull us away from being attentive to where we're at in our moment are anything other than the devil's schemes to rob us of our purpose in Christ Jesus. Here's what I would like to do. I would like to ask some questions that will hold these stories against out, kind of out against one another. First question is this, and it really pertains to Martha. Remember how busy Martha was? What busyness is robbing you of fully engaging in life to the full? What busyness is robbing you of living life to the full? What things are you doing that seem so important, but in the end, they only suck your time away and you find yourself never able to engage in a walk with God, a community of God, being a witness or a light for Christ in this world? What busyness have you said yes to? And it may be a good thing, it's just not the right thing. Here's what I would invite you to do. Ask God to order your priorities. Can we trust his character that he's for us? Can we trust that what God's calling us to do isn't a mistake on a cosmic level? No. It's a call to trust him and then obey. Obedience is trust in action. And we have to learn to live in that tension because the thieves of our time will kill us. The thieves of our time are busyness and a need to matter. But the reality is, we, like Martha, want to be busy, and we need to learn how, it, how we spend time at the feet of Christ. What does it mean to sit at the feet of Christ? Here's one way I would invite you to. These little things, you can get them at the entrances, the exits. They're devotions. They're written by a team in this church that's the scriptures we've talked about. All that I've talked about today was already in this. If you've read this this week, all these stories are familiar. All this has already challenged you. I'm a horrible cherry on top of that Sunday, right? That's all that is because this is really what we're saying is go sit at the feet of Jesus. Be engaged in daily devotions. Don't let the tyranny of the urgent rob you from the relationship that truly matters. Don't miss what Martha missed. Get what Mary had. Get at the feet of Jesus. Second question really reminds us of Proverbs 31 and the woman there. What busyness what selfishness is stealing your time? And this one stings a little bit. Are you maybe on the floor playing with your kids at night if you have kids and you're hanging out with them? You're maybe playing a game of um, like the little matching cards. What's that called? Memory. That's ironic. <laughs> that happened in public. All right. I just want to be like, you're dismissed. <laughs> Yeah, like, are you on the floor playing memory, and you're like, I don't need to, I, I need work on my memory, but, you know, I don't need to, I don't want to play that game, but what if it means a lot to them? What if it means a lot to them? Are you on the floor engaged with your child, or are you, while your child's going, hey, hey, mom, want to play memory? You're like, yeah, yeah, I'll be right there. Oh, that's a cute picture there, kid. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh it's an AV clip. And your kid's going, do you want to play football? Uh-huh, in a minute. Dad, do you know what somebody called me today at school? I don't know. It's probably true. You're just scrolling. 
You'd be amazed what you can mumble out when you're just sitting there totally disengaged. And they're screaming, Mom and Dad, time, time is love. Will you spend it with me? Uh-huh. A boy called me ugly today. Oh, well, that's pretty weird. You can just go through life scrolling. Or are you actually engaged? Putting down, basically, it's like a crack addiction for us, the social media, the pipe, putting it down and saying, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to engage. Even though I don't want to play memory sometimes, even though I don't want to do some of these things, I'm going to do it. I'm going to engage in relationships that truly matter. I'm going to be present and, and really not be selfish with my time. Not be selfish to think that I'm the only one that matters and steal from them what they need most. Are you going to be selfish or are you going to really take time and engage with the people and relationships around you? Are you working on your golf swing with an extra half hour you have or are you going out to coffee with a husband, a wife, a friend, a relationship to invest in? I'm not saying golf is bad. I'm just saying you don't get into heaven by your handicap, right? That's just not how it works. There's certain things that aren't about you. They're not about me. They're about relationships. Here's the thing. Do you know what the number two game on our app, on our iPhone apps is right now? I do. I researched it. I'll save the attention. Donut County. People are selling fake donuts to one another. And like, yeah, I sold a dozen Long John's. Yeah, oh, right? And they're, they have no relationships. Like, oh, sweet, I sold a couple triangles. Oh, I can upgrade my, my oven. You don't have an oven. You have a phone. It's weird and it's kind of sad. It's the number two app that tells us I'm the center of the universe because I love the way it feels when I sell a crawler. Oh, it's great. No, it's a lie. It's about you. We've got to move beyond us and get into what God's calling us to be. God wants you to get over yourself and get your eyes on him. The, the answer is always the same. Get your eyes on him. And the final one that really, I mean, that Proverbs 31 woman says, I mean, can you imagine her playing Donutville? She would look at us and be like, come here, I have to slap you. Right? It would just be weird to someone like that. The final one is where has God placed you? Remember Esther, she was put somewhere for a specific reason, and it was God's reason and God's purposes. Where has God placed you? And friends, this one is one that I want to drill into for just a minute. Maybe you're a mom, a wife, father, brother, coworker, friend, grandparent, aunt, uncle, son, daughter. I don't know who you are or what your titles are, but I will tell you this. Don't you realize that God put you there for a reason? Don't you know that God's purposes in your life are to reveal him to the world around you? I love in Kylie's statement of faith, it said, I love telling my friends and family about Jesus now. She gets that where God placed her is where she's going to talk. And what she's going to talk about is her salvation. Friends, that is who we are. This is our identity. We are Christians. And we should be living in the places we're at. Don't get this wrong. You may think you have time to go on forever, but so did past generations. This is our one shot. This is our time. I get the next number of years. I don't know because I keep looking in the mirror. I'm like, rough. Like, it's getting older by the day, and I can't change it. So I'm going to make every minute count. These are our times. This is our generation's moment to grab the gospel and march it forward. 
And in order to do that, we have to be present to the place God placed us. Maybe right now you hate your job. Maybe you're like, it's miserable. I can't stand it. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Ask God, who do you have me here for? I'll tell everybody here about Jesus. If you can just help me get a different job, just get me out of here. I mean, you know, I'll convert them all. Just help me out. Let me know. Ask God, why am I here? Because I'll tell you this, I know you have asked quietly under your breath, why am I even here? Why am I even here? What's the point of all this? And God's probably going, listen to me, I'd love to answer that. Spend a little time with me. I have purposes. I made you specifically. I put my gifts into you. I knit you together, and I filled you with my spirit so that where you're at, the gospel would be as well. Don't forget that you are the very hands and feet of the gospel going forward, and your life cries out about you or about the gospel. you got to choose one. And in order to choose the gospel, you've got to be fully present to where you are. Oswald Chambers is one of my favorite um, Christian theologians. He was a Scottish Presbyterian, and he was a great guy. And he says it this way, don't say God can't use you where you are, because he certainly can't use you where you're not. Okay, I'll read it again, because that's awesome. Let's try it one more time. God, don't say God can't use you where you are, because he certainly can't use you where you're not. The place you aren't, he's not using you there, but where you're at, he intends the gospel to come in power. The question is, how will you respond? Let's make no mistake that for you and I, the busyness, the selfishness, and the not being present in our life is costing the kingdom dearly. May it never be said of us that we were lost inside of ourselves figuring out who we are when the gospel was calling us forward in mission, in participation with Almighty God for His pleasure, His purposes, and the advancement of the kingdom of God. Amen? Pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for who you are. Thank you that um, in spite of our busyness, our selfishness, and our real gift at not being present in the moment we're in, you still call us to yourself. You still use us for your glory, and you love us. So God, we invite you to speak into our hearts. We ask that we wouldn't be, that we wouldn't give ourselves license to just try to have a foot in both worlds but we would give ourselves fully to the mission of the gospel. That we would dig in with you for the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask the temptations of this world are so great. So we ask today, would you just help the world fade away and put yourself in center screen? May we see you clearly. And then would the world fade away? It's luster it's, it's luxuries. May that fade away as we grab onto the one who made us in his image, the one who called us because he gave his life for us, the one who gave us his spirit and is the author and perfecter of our faith, our Lord and Savior, our one confession, our creed, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you please stand? Sing with me. I don't know if you've ever had it where you've watched a team or you've been on a team and you didn't show up for the first half and you just got spanked, you know, in the first half. And you're like, what's going on? You get in the locker room and the coach is a special color purple. And he's like, where are you? What's going on? And they just kind of put the wood to you and you come out the second half a different team. 
How sad will it feel when we who knew so much about Jesus get to heaven and many of us here, where were you in the life I gave you? Where were you? Why didn't you tell anyone? Who cares if they're uncomfortable? Who cares if they're uncomfortable? I will guarantee you hell's worse. Where were you in the life I gave you? Be engaged. Be engaged in the life God gave you. It's not always easy. The tyranny of the urgent screams very loud. But there are rhythms that begin to lay out for us a life of godly Christian engagement. At the Foundry Church, we call it our weekly rhythm. And if you're not doing devotions, please, even if you're a guest, take one of these. And if you're a guest and you're not, you don't live near here, we're online. You can get them online and read them there. Get in the Word of God every week. There's five different scriptures you'll go through that talk through this teaching. Get signed up for groups and get into a community that cares, loves, and owns one another and discusses the Word of God. And join us here as we kind of gather and link up and remember that we are fully engaged, not in our life, but in His life lived through us. And let us be the very force of nature that changes this world by His Spirit. We can change it. There was like 10 people here five years ago. We can do it. We can turn this world on its ear for Jesus Christ. The question is, will we engage? Will we engage? Hear this benediction from Ephesians 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how high, how long and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to his power within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus both now and forevermore. Amen? Amen. Friends, as you go from this place, if you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you over at these prayer stations. If you don't know Jesus and you want to meet him, I'd love to make an introduction today. Come forward. We'd love to pray with you. Other than that, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are turned loose. The church must leave the building. We really hope that God spoke something powerful into your life today. An important goal of ours here is to get people into our weekly rhythm of worship, groups, and being in the Word. One of the ways that you can be a part of that is by going to our website, foundrychurch.net, and from there, you can find a link to our devotions page. We're glad that you took the time to listen to this message, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.